All right, well, let's get uh, started this morning. Um, this morning we're going to be in Deuteronomy 17, uh, the end of the chapter. Uh, it's, it's just seven verses, uh, verses 14 to 20, but, but a couple things before we do that, before we start reading there. Um, you know, Randy's message this morning... Um, he entitled it The Centrality of the Heart. Early on in the message, I thought that maybe he should have entitled it Centrality of the Word of God. Um, and, and we don't coordinate um, messages in, in Sunday school class together. We don't do that. But, but one, of the, one of the things that he mentioned that is, that is applicable um, is to us is that quote that he started with with crab, which was I think I wrote it down correctly. Real change is possible if you start from the inside out. Um, and he repeated that, and and clearly he picked the right title for his message. So uh, early on. It was the word of God, and somewhere in there, he, meant, he just made a, a, a comment about what we have in the word of God. So when I was preparing for today, usually I, I name these. I usually don't tell you what the name of these um, Sunday school classes is. I, I had started with what we have in the word of God, but I changed it to a different kind of king, which those things sound quite a bit different. But as you, as we go through Deuteronomy 17, uh, verses 14 through 20, you'll see how both of those things are could have been used as a, as a way to refer to this text. So, um, as we usually do, we'll open this in prayer, um, and so I'm going to. Uh, open with a short prayer. Actually, it's part of a longer prayer um, from this book, Valley of Visions. I, I recommend it. Uh, it is a collection of prayers and devotional things from Puritans. Um, so I'll just open with part of this prayer. O oh God, our supreme moving cause, May I always be subordinate to you, be dependent upon you, be found in the path where you walk and where your spirit moves, that I would take heed of being estranged from you, of becoming insensitive to your love, that you move men like stones, and you endue them with life. But you don't enable them to move without you, but in submission to you, the first mover. O oh Lord, I am astonished at the difference between what I have received and what I deserve. Between the state I am now in and my past gracelessness, 
between the heaven I am bound for and the hell that I merit. And Lord, as we come before you this morning, we uh, pray that you would, that we would always recognize you as the one who is the source of our life and the one who directs our lives. And so we ask that you direct us today as you have brought us here uh, to look at your word. And we pray that your spirit would be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before we get started on Deuteronomy, has anybody seen political news lately? Um, truly there are, and this, this point comes out over and over again, that, that things like this have never happened before. Well, that's probably true for the United States. Uh, things like this happen all over the world all the time. Um, but it is true that, that, the, that the, there's division like there hasn't been division, and people will go to extremes like they haven't gone to extremes, and it, it just kind of makes you where, wonder where it's all going. I mean, the nice way to say it is red gets redder and blue gets bluer. That's the nice way to, to, to phrase what is going on now. Well, in, I'm kind of tired of that. Um, but that's maybe why I, I watched the presidential re- rebate, debate, the, the Republican presidential debate uh, this last Wednesday. Did anybody else see that? Not a lot. Well, um, I watched it in interest thinking, well, maybe there's, you know, they're, they're, we're going to get some some new things. We're going we're gonna to understand more. We're going we're gonna to have a debate where um, one candidate doesn't try to talk over the other one and, and it turns into chaos. Well, that didn't happen. I mean, <laughs> it turned into chaos pretty, pretty partway through. But everybody knows that, and, and maybe why no, not very many people watch the debate, but, but it's really, really early. Lots of candidates on the stage, but, but but the Republican, the leading Republican by far, uh, wasn't there. And so that also made you think maybe you're going to get some, you know, some new great ideas um, and you're, somebody's going to be able to shine. And, and I really kind of characterize um, the responses or, or the answers of the people that were, that were there in, in three categories. There were there was one category of people who said who were going well. I'm going to try to sound like Donald Trump without sounding too much like Donald Trump. And then there was another group of just a couple of them, really um, saying, "Well, we need a different kind of leader, or we need a new generation of leader." That was Nikki Haley's um, line. Um, and then there was one candidate, maybe a couple candidates, who were trying to do both. I'm going to try to be a new kind of candidate, an outsider, 
but I'm going to kind of try to be like Donald Trump. And so that's what you have on the Republican side for, um, for presidential candidates, um, not the leaders, because the leader wasn't there, but one of the things that people ask afterwards is who won? Who won the debate? Well, there was no consensus on that either um, as to who won that, that debate. I'm going to refer to that a little bit later again, um, so we'll come back to it. But, but as we get started here today, I always like to review what we did last week. And so last week we were in the first part, actually the end of chapter 16 and then the first part of chapter 17. Uh, and the key point um, in, that, in that section of Scripture, it's one good size section that runs from 618 to 1713, is found in Deuteronomy 16.20. And in almost all of our Bibles, it reads something like this. Justice, only justice, you shall pursue or you shall follow. Um, but really, uh, a better translation would be righteousness and righteousness alone you shall pursue. So that you may live and you may possess the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Um, and so that passage that we covered last week was mostly about two things. One is what kind of worship practices um, would be violating the first commandment of having no other gods before Yahweh. So that's, that's one. That's the first one. And the second part, main thing was, and what are you supposed to do about it? both as an individual and as a community. And one of the things that, that comes up in that section and how it really ties into the section we're on today is that um, they are to set up a national judge to take things to a supreme judge, you could say. They didn't, and maybe because it kind of gets extended to the Levitical priests, maybe even a supreme court that they set up to not to not like our Supreme Court that hears appeals, but one that that um, takes up cases that are too hard to handle on the local level. So that's that's one thing that came out of last week is this idea of setting up a a judiciary, you could say, um, on the national level. So let's open our Bibles now to, we're going to pick it up from there, um, Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 14. If you have an ESV, um, I have an ESV there, uh, it, it, it subtitles this, or it has a heading over this, it says, Laws Concerning Israel's Kings. Well, in Deuteronomy, there was no king in Israel. Um, they didn't have a king. Remember, they were being led by Moses, and Moses was instructing them about what they were to do to um, when they move into the land. And so this, is, this section is going to be about that. Um, and, and the passage really explains what the ideal king is, what an ideal king would look like. 
Um, and so we don't have a king in this country, but we do have a president. And it, as we go through this, I mean, one of the things you think about when you watch a debate or evaluate who you want to be president is you need to have an idea of how you're going to evaluate the person. It would be ideal if we could evaluate our political leaders by this passage. Um, but how do we normally do it? Who, who is well-spoken? Um, who has the possibility of winning? Um, are, they on, do they, are they on the right side of the issues that we care about? Uh, one thing we don't hear anybody say, which is going to come up in this passage, is, you know, I wish we had a president like the nations around us. You won't hear that here. You won't hear anybody say that I wish we had Justin Trudeau. Um, although he's not a president, I mean, he's a prime minister, um, but... You won't hear anybody. Mexico has a president. Um, uh, I'm not even sure exactly how you pronounce his last name, but I think it's probably Obrador. Nobody says that we want the U.S. president to be like that. And since the world is really, it's really the world that is our neighbors now. So the, the nations around us, because of, of what we can do with travel, etc. And and I've not heard anybody say that I wish we had a president like Vladimir Putin. Um, and so while we are, while we are, think things are really, really bad here, um, let's remember <laughs> that things worse happened all over the world. And part of that, I think, is that we've all heard that 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 the United States was set up on Christian principles or Judeo-Christian values. Um, you certainly come, they, they certainly, that was certainly the foundation um, for the kind of system that was set up. You can see it in Deuteronomy 17. I already talked about um, setting up a, a, a supreme judge for the nation, as one thing. So we're going to see more of that today. Some things that, that our country was actually founded on um, that come right out of the Old Testament, come right out of the Bible. So Deuteronomy 17, uh, 14, or, yeah, and I'll start with, just going to read the first few words. When you enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it, and you dwell in it. So this is at the end. Mo Moses is addressing the people at the end of the 40 years of, in the wilderness. They are just across the Jordan River from the promised land. So Moses is telling them the things that they will need to know um, regarding the Torah as they enter the land, how they will live long in the land, and, and that's what this is about. How are you going to live a long time in that land? 
So Moses was not entering the land with them. He was going to die on the other side of the Jordan. And and this passage looks forward to a time past Moses and really a time past Joshua, uh, who was going to take over for Moses. And so that's the setting here. We're talking about Moses and is instructing them about the future. This is how this should look in the future. Okay, back to verse 14. I'll start from the beginning of it and read to the end of 14. When you enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it, and you dwell in it, and you say, I will set over me a king. So I here is the voice of the whole people as a collective. So it's not an individual. He's not talking to an individual. He's talking to all the people. You will say, I would, will set a king over me like all the nations who surround me. Now, does that sound familiar with, with just what I introduced? Nobody is saying we want a president like Mexico. Right? Nobody is saying that here. So this could mean one of two things. This could mean, um, I will set a king over me or so that I can be like the other nations who have a king. So that Israel can be like the other nations. Or it can mean, I want to set a king over me like the kings in other nations, in the, in the people around us. It can mean either one of those things. And this hypothetical thing that, that Moses is, is stating could mean both. And, and if we think that leaders are the leaders of countries and the countries tend to follow them, first of all, that's a bad statement on where we're headed. And secondly, um, that the, the king is to is also, and you're going to see in Deuteronomy, to reflect the people that are there. So, what were the people asking for? Well, if they were asking for a king like the other nations around them, a king that who would be like the other nations around them, here's what a king was. First and foremost, the commander-in-chief of the military. Secondly, the king was the one that made the laws and gave the laws. Thirdly, the king was a judge, the supreme judge. Now, this is much later, but um, about 1,500 years later. But the same principles were still in effect in most of the, in most of the world when Paul is on trial in um, the northern part of Israel. And they say, do you want to go to Jerusalem to be judged? What does he say? I appeal to Caesar. And that's where they send him. So the king, the emperor, was the judge too. All three parts of government that we have separated um, in this country. So why have we separated them? We've separated them because of Deuteronomy 17. 
That's one of the reasons that we have separated the United States government into three parts. So that's what the king did. And surprisingly, especially if you have read um, Samuel, 1 Samuel, Moses says, he gives him permission to have a king. So you might not think that that would be the case, but here's, here's what it says. You may indeed set up for your, a king over you. So you may indeed set up a king over you. So that's, what, that's the way the ESV reads. The New American Standard, I think, reads something like this. You shall surely set up a king over you. So both of those translations are possible from the Hebrew, that you may do it or that you must do it. Both of those are possible translations, and both of them would be literal translations. Um, so it would be considered literal. So both the ESV and the New American Standard say this. They say different, it's, it sounds like different things, but they are both literal translations of what's there in Hebrew. I tend to think that the ESV, I'm more persuaded by the ESV's translation than the New American Standard, which usually doesn't happen. But Moses is giving them permission to set up a king um, that they wouldn't have had otherwise, but he's not requiring them to set up a king. Um, it takes a while for Israel to set up a king. But you may indeed set up a king over yourself. So the people could decide to set up a king. The people got to choose to set up a king. Well, I mean, when you think about that, the people in this nation had a chance to set up a king, and they didn't. Why didn't they? Probably because of the things that you find in the Old Testament. Probably because they were familiar with at least the background of Deuteronomy 17. Um, so much of this wisdom from Deuteronomy 17 is included in the way that our government was set up. So I haven't read the Federalist Papers, um, which explain um, some of the reasoning behind what was, was happening. But we do know that, that we set up three separate things that a king normally did. Well, all of those three things are right here in Deuteronomy 17, too. The separation of a judge from the king. A separation of the law from the king. Those are all right here uh, in Deuteronomy 17. So the people could decide to set up a king, but, but look at the rest of that verse, verse 15. You may indeed set up over yourselves a king whom the Lord, your God, will choose. So the Lord would choose the king. So how would that happen? How would they know who the Lord had chosen? Well, again, I referenced Samuel before. When, when 
when the people want the king in Samuel, this is in Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 8, um, where, they, where they want a king. And then it's in 1 Samuel chapter 9, Saul is wandering around looking for donkeys, right? And the prophet and judge Samuel, the Lord speaks to him and says, I'm going to send you somebody tomorrow. And that's who's going to be the king. That's who's going to be the prince, he actually says. The prince um, of my people. And so God made it known to the prophet Samuel who would be, so who would be king. Now, in one sense, um, because we, we see this just from all over Scripture, but, but most commonly referred to in in uh, Romans, that every government that exists is in place because God put it there. And so we find out who God puts in place after we vote. But God puts the person in place. And as we learn from Samuel, he doesn't always put in place the ideal candidate. Uh, he puts in place something like what the people want. Um, and so that's what we're going to do with our president. So we're about to do, well, it's, a, it's still a long ways off, but it's in the news all the time already. So it's, today, it's, it's still August today. This is 15 months almost, 14 and a half months into the future. And most of the polling right now says that if you were a Republican, you prefer Donald Trump. And most of the polling says that if you are a Democrat, you do not prefer Joe Biden. But you don't prefer Donald Trump either. And so most of the people are going to be voting for somebody that they don't want to vote for if it holds true that these guys win the nomination and, and unless something serious happens on the Democratic side, um, Joe Biden is going to be the nominee. The incumbent's always the nominee. Um, but it looks like we're going to be choosing between the last two presidents for our next president. And no matter if that's the case or not, most people prefer a different president from that. So most people would prefer that we had a different kind of president. Well, when the people of Israel are asking for a king like the nations around them, God, it, God gives them permission to have a king, but it's a different kind of king. So the first qualification we just read, that th this person had to be chosen by God and, and from from first Samuel, God told Samuel directly who that king was going to be. So that the first qualification was chosen by God. Um, this is in this is also from verse seventeen. 
So starting in just before the middle of verse 17, you shall set over you a king from the midst of his brothers. You are not able to set over you a, a foreigner who is not one of your brothers or is not your brother. So that sounds like a good idea. Um, so why would that be important? Why would it be important that they don't set up a king who is a foreigner? Why would that be important? He's not one of God's people. Not one of God's holy chosen people. Not part of the covenant um, that God has with his people. What's another good reason? Anybody else have one? They wouldn't have shared values. Right. Taken from the midst of your brothers to reflect the people. Right? There are others that come up as well. Well, he's more, way more concerned about the country if he's one of them, right? Um, one of them, well, we have, a, we have a provision like that in the United States, in our Constitution, in our written covenant. It is no person except a natural-born citizen or a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of this Constitution shall be eligible to the office of president. Neither shall any person be eligible to that office who shall not have attained the age of 35 years and been 14 years a resident of the United States. So not only do you have to be a citizen, but you actually have to live here. Where do you think we got that from? Well... We got that probably from, indirectly, from Deuteronomy 17. That's where we got it from. So there's, there's one other thing. And it probably has to do with the same reason that Israelites were not supposed to marry foreign women. They would lead you to worship other gods. A leader who is a foreigner would do that. So the people wanted a king that was like those around them, but, but God says, you can have a king, but it's going to be a different kind of king. And the rest of the chapter is about that. What is this king to be like? So really around, centered around two things. One is the things that the king is not supposed to do. And the other one is the things, you could even say the thing that the king is supposed to do. So verses 16 and 17, these are the things that the king is not supposed to do. And they have a, they have a common phrase in them. And the common phrase is, he shall not multiply for himself. 
So all of these three things in the next three verses have that common phrase. He shall not multiply for himself. He shall not multiply for himself horses. He shall not multiply for himself wives. In silver and gold, he shall not multiply for himself. So three things, horses, wives, and wealth. Those are the things that the king is not to, not to multiply for himself. So let's just read those verses, verses 16 and 17, um, and then we'll talk about them. Only he shall not multiply for himself horses. And he will not make the people return to Egypt in order to multiply horses. Because the Lord said to you, you will never again return that way. And he will not multiply for himself wives that they will not turn his heart aside. In gold and silver, he will not multiply for himself exceedingly or greatly. So three things that he is not to do. So just first of all, horses were a symbol of power. They were real power in the ancient world in, in armies. Um, they were real power, and so... It doesn't say that the king isn't allowed to take horses for the nation's army. He is not to multiply horses for himself, even if he gives them to the army, to, to, to feed his ambition. To Horses might make you con- be a nation of conquest, and so the king wasn't to use them for that. They're not forbidden for, from having horses at all. They are forget, the king is forbidding is being forbidden from using that great power to give him confidence, overconfidence. I mean, we're familiar with this. Some trust in chariots, some with horses. In horses. But we trust in the name of our Lord, the Lord our God. So horses would, would turn you away if you do that. And, and Egypt, just as a point in passing, was a supplier of horses for the world. So the, the, the civilized world. So they weren't supposed to send people down there to get them. Right? They could get them from there, but they weren't to send the people of Israel down there to get horses or to become slaves for horses in, in place of horses. The king wasn't to have that kind of power to be able to exchange people for horses. Next on to wives. He shall not multiply for himself wives. Now, wives had a political purpose for kings. Multiple wives had a political purpose for kings. And that purpose was alliances. In, in relationships with friendly nations. And so the kings of Israel were not to multiply wives that way. 
Um, certainly for that reason, because we, you know, they're not to, Israel is not to rely on foreign nations, they're to rely on God. But, but the bigger issue, the bigger issue is that they will turn your heart away. What does that mean? Turn it away from God and turn it to worship other gods. So just, just we know that everybody knows Solomon had lots of wives and concubines, a thousand, right? David had multiple wives. And just feeding, indulging yourself was the way that David was doing that, right? So, so just think of what it meant to Israel to have David... Looking out from the roof, from his from his house onto the roofs of other houses, and seeing Bathsheba. So he takes a wife from his own indulgence because he can, and it's another man's wife, and so he has the other man killed. And the child dies. So, having wives can lead, multiple wives can lead astray in other ways than just leading you to worship a foreign god. Right? Leading you to turn away from the God that you have. Silver and gold, that one's really easy, right? That's like, that's like playing t-ball, right? Silver and gold, the reason for not accumulating that. First of all, kings would do it all the time, but what a burden it could be on the people to raise taxes because you can to spend it on yourself, to spend it on yourself, so all of these things, he shall not multiply for himself horses, he shall not multiply for himself wives, he shall not multiply for himself silver and gold excessively, are all also about power, human power. Being a powerful person, which enables you to accumulate more and more stuff, which makes you more and more powerful. And the king was to be not that. Um, submissive to God, but also like one of his brothers. Not exalting himself. So, if you want to see, we're all familiar with, I mentioned, that Solomon had many wives. And what happens with, with Solomon is that they turn his heart away and he ends up he allows them to worship, and it turns, um, it turns his heart away. And, and that passage in, in 1 Kings uh, 11 says that he lumps, king, lumps Solomon in with the kings that say, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Solomon is, li- is, is lumped in with those kings. But because we, we're somewhat familiar with that passage and the thousand 
wives and concubines. We miss maybe what was on in the, in the chapter before that in 1 Kings 10, which was he multiplied wealth and he multiplied horses. Solomon did all of these things. And so are things like power that you can use for your own purposes are things like um, more women, are things like excessive wealth common in our politics? They are. They are real temptations that that the king of Israel was supposed to fight against. And David and Solomon knew that. They're real things that we... So if we were going to evaluate a, a leader of our country, a presidential candidate of our country, how do we do that? And how does a king avoid those, those temptations? Well, we've been talking about the things that a king wasn't supposed to do. So now we'll just talk about the thing that the king was supposed to do. The people wanted a king like the other nations around them, but God tells them we want a different kind of king. So, Verses beginning in verse 18. And it will be when he takes his seat on the throne of his kingdom. So this is now when the king becomes actually becomes king. Like right, the idea here is right when he take becomes king. And it will be when he takes his seat on the throne of his kingdom. He will write for himself a copy of this Torah. On a scroll. And translations differ here. It's like in the presence of the priest or approved by the priest. It probably means this. According to the copy of the, according to the Torah that is in front of the priests, the one that they have, the king is to make an exact copy of God's word. Write it out himself. And people make a big deal about. You know, when you write things down, you remember them better. That's true. So, but the purpose of that uh, wasn't only that. Um, verse 18. Well, excuse me, verse 19. And it will be with him. And he will read it. All the days of his life. Let's just pause there. 
So the, the book was to be with the king. And he was to read it all the days of his life. So this book, this Torah, this instruction, this law, was the law of the land. It's separate from the king. The king is to live by this law, not be the one that makes the primary laws for the nation. Again, that wisdom is in the background of the United States government when it was established. And what's happening now, if we're paying any attention, is that the, 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 exec, the commander-in-chief is grabbing more and more power and has been for a long, long, long time, right? The king, the president, is exalting himself over the laws, That's a temptation, too, when you can. But the king of Israel was not to do that. The king was to take that law and read it every day of his life. Read, you can translate it, read from it all the days of his life. The centrality of the word of God. So the book of Deuteronomy gets his, its name from this verse, from, from verse 18. When he, um, it means, that in, in Greek, uh, the word is deuteronomion. Deuteronomy. So it's not that Deuteronomy is a repetition of the first four books of the Old Testament. It's, it's named after what the king was to do. This, the law was to be so important that the king was to read it every day of his life. So the king was, is a pretty busy guy, Right? Um, and as we, you know, we heard this morning, this morning, we are to be Bible pe- people. I don't know if I wrote it down as accurately as I got the first quote this morning, but, but, but Randy um, quoted Kevin Van Huser, Van Hooser, um, and it was something like this. I heard the prime directive and I thought Star Trek, so I might not have quite got it exactly right but the prime directive of a disciple is being biblical so how do we do that the same way the king was to do that that's how the king remains biblical that's how the king doesn't accumulate for himself. Doesn't multiply for himself horses and wives and wealth. Because being biblical means being shaped by, by reading it 
understanding it and being shaped by it, living our life by it. The king, as busy as the king was and as powerful as the king does, doesn't get to wall off, this is my Bible world, this is my king world. He doesn't get to separate his work from his calling as a as a person of God, as the king put in place by God. He doesn't get to do that. He doesn't get to separate himself from the word of God. So this wouldn't have been the first time that the king, again, this is the ideal king. This isn't to be the first time the king reads the law. He would have been raised in it. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Part of that, those verses, is this. And you will repeat them. The words that I'm commanding, these words which I'm commanding you today, you will repeat them to your children over and over again. It says, teach diligently um, in most of our translation Uh, The illustration there is sharpen, like when you're sharpening a knife, you're doing this. You will repeat these to your children over and over again. When you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. That's what the people of Israel were to be raised like. And so when a king gets in in this place where he's sitting on his throne, it won't be the first time that he has read this book. But it also goes, it's not just that the king is busy, on how important it is to constantly be immersed in, in scripture all the days of his life all the days of his life so in order that he will learn to fear the lord his god That's a lifetime goal and it's a lifetime project. To keep all the words of this Torah and the statute and these statutes to do them, to do the statutes. That's what the king was to do. That's how you keep from horses and wives and wealth. That's how you do it. That's how the king was to do it. In order that his heart might not be exalted over his brothers. All those appeals for power, one kind of power or another kind of power, the king is not to feel. The king's to be humble. Just like the rest of his people. In order that um, he would not 
turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left in order that his day, the days of his kingdom and his sons in the midst of Israel would be long in the midst of Israel, that he would lengthen his days in the land. So, God's word is the way to all of those things, right? And especially to the road to humility that the king was supposed to do, because it's really it's really easy when you're in a position of power to exalt yourself above everybody else. So how do we do that? How do how do we become that? We become that the same way the same way that the king was to become that. We are to do that every day of our lives. But how do we live in humility? Well, that's it's hard to do. But it's a lifetime project. So we have a lifetime. And as disciples, we're to be shaped by the Bible. We are to, it's, the, it's our prime directive to be biblical. And we know that no matter what is happening in our politics, right, we are called to something else. We are called to the ultimate Israelite king, to Jesus Christ. And to be like Jesus Christ, to learn from our king. Um, Pastor Randy read from, um, during his prayer, didn't read from, he he was praying from Psalm 2 today. Um, I think it's verse 7, I don't remember for sure, says something like this. But I have installed my king on Mount Zion. That's the one that we serve. The one that is a different kind of king. The one that Pilate couldn't even really recognize as a king. So are you a king? So you are a king. And Jesus says something that's interesting. If my kingdom were of this world, my, my servants would be fighting. The subjects of the kingdom of God behave differently because they are part of his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And that is to be the primary thing that shapes us. I just come back to this over and over again. I know, not in this class, um, but in other things. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or a thing to be held on to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he did not exalt himself over his brothers. He took the form of a servant, or you could say a slave. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. We usually stop reading at verse 8. The point of death on a cross, humbled himself to death. We usually stop there when in our regular reading, or we stop thinking about it. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is a different kind of king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are all wise and all knowing and you know what is best for us. You know the way that we should go and the way that we should walk. We ask that you would give us understanding so that we walk that way. And we not deviate from that road to the right or to the left. Lord, we pray that we would ever follow Jesus, pursue Jesus. We pray this, this in his name. Amen.